So this morning we are starting a new three-week series called Generosity. We'll just get all the cards out on the table right from the beginning. In this series, we will be talking some about money. Now, I know as soon as I say that, um, some of you are like, oh, here we go. Like, I knew it. I knew it. The church just wants your money. You've got this mindset, the church just wants your money. Or are there some of you who um, maybe you've been exposed to kind of like some of those like scammy TV preachers, quote unquote, who um, they kind of prey on the poor, they prey on the elderly, and they say things like, hey, if you write this big fat check and send it to our ministry, then God will reward you with material blessing and God will make you rich. Maybe you've been exposed to some of that stuff. And so if you've been exposed to that kind of stuff, as soon as I say, hey, we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about money, you immediately kind of put your guard up and you want to kind of, oh, I don't know where this is going. But here's what I would encourage you. Um, if you've kind of been exposed to some of those abuses of money in the church, I encourage you, don't check out, lean in over the next couple weeks. And let me just say, if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then here's one thing I want you to know right off the bat. The church does not want your money. Right? If you are not a follower of Jesus, please don't give your money to the church. Right? It's the responsibility of followers of Jesus to support the work of the local church. It's not the responsibility of people who don't follow Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, then we don't want your money. We don't want you to give. But again, in this series, we will talk some, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this idea of giving to support the work of the local church. And so if you're not a Christian, when we talk about that, you're like, you've got permission. Check out, go scroll. You can you know, check the scores on your phone or whatever you need to do when we get to that. But even if you're not a Christian, for the rest of it, I would encourage you to lean in. Before you just kind of write us off in general and say, oh, it's all about the church just wants your money, lean in over the next couple of weeks. Because a lot of what we will be talking about in general is how we can move from being kind of more selfish and more self-centered to being more generous people. Because here's what I know. I don't believe there's one person in this room who woke up this morning saying, man, I really need to work on being more selfish this week. I don't think any of us said that. There's no one who, as you got to the end of this week, said, you know what, looking back, I think I was actually kind of trending toward being a little too generous this week. I need to scale back on the generosity this coming week. None of us said that. I think we all desire to be more generous. Like, hey, can I be honest? I want to be more generous. I struggle with generosity. I'm not a naturally generous person, but I want to be more generous. Like, my wife, she is one of the most generous people I know. And when I see her acting generously, I'm like, man, that's attractive. Like, generosity looks good. Like, that's awesome. I want to be more like that. But it's a struggle for me to be more like that. Like, just this week, and she, she got me really good. She set me up. Um, we, she had a work conference, and so I went and tagged along and kind of worked from there. And it was um, at this the convention center at this resort. So on the last day, we were in the little gift shop at this resort, and we were looking for some prizes for the kids. And Grayson, our oldest daughter, is like super into hoodies and sweaters. And so there was this hoodie, and she's like, oh, Grayson would love this hoodie. So I go and I look at the price tag, and it's $39.99. I'm like, I'm sure she would love it. I ain't buying it. Like, I'm not spending 40 bucks on a hoodie that she's going to outgrow in a couple months. So we didn't get it. We, we walked out of the store, and then again, she totally set me up. So we're walking down the hall a minute later. She's like, oh, so hey, um, I saw we're starting a new sermon series this week. I'm like, yeah, we're starting a new series. She's like, oh, that's cool. What's the new series about? I'm like, oh, it's about genera. Okay, I get it. I get it. Point taken. 
But see, I, I really do struggle. Man, I want to be more generous, but I struggle with actually putting that into practice and being more generous. And I think probably a lot of us can relate to that. We, we truly desire, like none of us, none of us want to say, I want to be known as a selfish, stingy Scrooge. That's not in any of our desires. So, so how do we move from being selfish to being more generous people? Now, I think one of the reasons this is a struggle for so many of us is because there is this lie that is so pervasive in our culture that so many of us have just accepted and believed. And when we believe this lie, it chokes out our ability to be generous. And here's the lie that we believe in our culture. It's mine. Right, there's this pervasive lie in our culture that kills generosity, and it's that it is mine. So we think everything I have, I earned. We think whatever I have, I worked hard for, I achieved, therefore it's mine. All right, so compared to a lot of, kind of more Eastern societies that are more communal and more familial in nature, here in our Western culture, in our Western society, we're much more individualistic in nature. And so through that, we look at everything that we have and we say, nope, that's mine. I earned it. I achieved it. I worked hard for it. Like, here's an example of how this plays out in our culture. A couple years ago, the uh, internet blew up because uh, Forbes magazine was doing this article on some female billionaires, and it had Kylie Jenner on the cover of the article, and then it has that little blurb in the top, and it said that Kylie Jenner was on pace to become the youngest self-made billionaire in history. And so everybody was freaking out that they said she was on pace to be the youngest self-made billionaire in history. Now, if you don't know who Kylie Jenner is, um, she is the youngest child in the Kardashian family. If you don't know who the Kardashian family is, then just keep living your life because you're probably way less anxious and less stressed out than the rest of us are. So like, if you don't know who that is, you're doing fine. Just don't worry about it. Um, but they're probably like the most famous, super wealthy family, like the most famous family in America. And so everybody saw this and they, they were freaking out, not because they were trying to discount Kylie Jenner's hard work, or not trying to say that, you know, she didn't start a company and wasn't like a brilliant marketer or anything like that. They were just saying, hey, is it possible to say that you're self-made when you were born into a super wealthy and incredibly famous family? Like, that, that just doesn't seem to fit. But, but that's kind of what we want to believe in our culture. We want to believe that everything we have, we did it on our own. We earned it by ourselves that everything we have is ours. And so we want to look at our bank account and say, hey, that's mine. I did that. Right? We want to drive home, look at our house and say, man, I achieved that. We want to step back and look at the P&L sheet of our business and say, man, I built that from the ground up. We want to believe that everything we have, we have earned all by ourselves. Now, the problem with that idea, that concept of it's mine, before we even get to if it's true or not, but the problem is, is when we believe that, when we really truly believe it's mine, we're never going to be able to take a step closer toward generosity. So this morning we're going to look at this, um, this story from 1 Chronicles 29, and in this story we see this example of this group of people coming together and living extremely generous. This group of people coming together to give of what they have to do something bigger than themselves. So the context of the story is David has been the king of Israel for a while, and David is kind of coming toward the end of his life. He's getting ready to hand the kingdom over to his son Solomon. And before he hands the kingdom over to his son Solomon, he tells Solomon, he tells the people, he says, hey, 
You need to build a temple to God. You need to build a a house to the Lord in Israel. So that's kind of the instructions that David is giving toward the end of his life. So here's what happens. 1 Chronicles 29. It says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly. This is the assembly of all the people of Israel. And he said, My son Solomon, who God has clearly chosen as Israel's next king, is still young and inexperienced. To which Solomon's probably like, Thanks a lot, Dad. You know, I appreciate that. Way to really set me up there. It says, The work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. So you've seen every resource at my command. I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stones and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for the holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 260 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the building and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give an offering to the Lord today? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals, the captains of the army, the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple, they gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They all contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited into the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, the descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had freely and wholeheartedly given to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. So what happens here is David basically takes the lead, and he shows this example of incredible generosity by giving all of his private treasure of gold and silver to go toward the building of the temple to God. And then all the people, the citizens of Israel, they kind of follow an example, they follow suit, and they all give of what they have to go towards building the temple to God. And the text is clear here that this is generosity that's at play, right? It said in verse 6 that they all gave willingly. So this isn't like David is king, you know, handing down some new law or some new tax mandate that they are forced to follow. This is voluntarily, they chose to give Willingly, So everybody comes together to generously give toward the building of the temple. Now, again, here's the question for us today. What led the people of God in this story to live generously? To say, hey, let's give of ourselves for this important work instead of living selfishly and saying, no, 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 what I have is mine, so I'm going to keep it to myself. What led to that? And it actually shows us as we keep reading. So right after they all give, David offers this prayer of thanksgiving to God. And so lean in and really, really listen to the words of David's prayer here. So it goes on in verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. David's praying to God. He says, God, everything in heaven and on earth is already yours. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. 
power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name, but who am I and who are your people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. You hear that? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. So see what's happening here is they are confronting this cultural lie of its mind with this truth that no, no, actually it's God's. Right? That is the truth that we need to understand to build generosity in our lives. It's not mine, it's God's. Right? This prayer that David prays absolutely crushes this belief that we are self-sufficient, that we are self-reliant, that everything we have is ultimately a result of you know, our own hard work and our smarts and our wisdom. David says, no, no, everything I have, he says, has come from you, God. Everything I have has come from you. He even says, God, it's at your discretion that people are made great. Right, really what he's saying? They're saying that promotion you got, ultimately God was sovereign over that. That's what David means there. Right, he's saying everything we have has come from God. That it's this reality that every single resource that ever passes through my hand, and again, we're not just talking about money, that's a resource, but every single resource that ever passes through our hands, David is saying all of it ultimately was from God. It came from God. It was a gift from God. Now listen, because I know some of us would want to push back. Like, this isn't discrediting your hard work. This isn't discrediting you, you know, doing whatever you've done. It's not taking away from that at all. But ultimately, what David is saying is that you even having the ability to work hard was a gift from God. The strength that you have to work hard, the wisdom with which you use to do your job, David is saying all of that ultimately came from God in the first place. So we don't have anything that didn't first come from God. It all belongs to him. It all originates in him. Right? And so the first step for us, or the first step for me, I should say, because again, I struggle with this, to, to take a step to move from being selfish to being generous is to do away with this lie of its mind and understand the truth that, no, it's all God's. It all belongs to him in the first place. Everything I have is ultimately God's. My bank account is God's. My home is God's. My kids are God's. Everything I have is God's. Now, when we accept this truth and we take a step towards generosity, not only are we putting away this lie and starting to live in truth, um, but there are actually some incredible benefits that happen as a result of living generously. And we see a couple of them clearly in this passage. When we start to understand that it's ultimately all God's and we take a step toward generosity, a few things that happen, the first thing that we see happens here is that generosity allows us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Right When we take a step toward generosity, when we do away with this lie of its mind, and we understand that it's God's, and we start to live generously, that frees us up and allows us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Look again at verse 1. It says, David said to the entire assembly, my son, whom God has chosen as the next king, is still young and experienced. The work ahead of him is enormous. 
He's basically saying, not one person can accomplish this. It's beyond the skill and the strength and the power of individuals. He says, the work is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Here in this passage, the generosity of the people of Israel, it allows them to be part of something that would last beyond them. It allows them to be part of something that would last for generations. And here's the reality. I think all of us, if we're being honest, like when we think about our lives, when we think about how we're investing, not just our money, but like investing our time, investing our resources, investing our lives, when we think about that, I think all of us, we want to invest in things that will outlive us. Right? We truly want to make a difference that will live beyond us. All of us have that inside of us. We all want that. And that's what's happening with David here. He's got this desire. He's coming toward the end of his life. He says, man, I've got, I've got all this vast wealth. I've got all these treasures of gold and silver. But if they die with me, so what? Who cares? So he starts to ask, how can I use them to be part of something that is bigger than me? How can I be part of something that will outlive me? And see, that's what living generously does. It allows us to be part of things that will outlive us. It allows us to be part of things so much bigger than ourselves, things that will last for generations. And again, this isn't just about money. This is about our mindset. This is about our lifestyle. I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, when I think about this, when I think about living generously, living open-handed so that we can be part of something bigger than ourselves, in a lot of ways, those of you who have been part of the Garden Oaks family for more than a couple of years, that's your story in so many ways. Like, like you have done that. You have lived generously. You have lived open-handed in a way that has allowed you to be part of something that will continue on for generations. Right? Like we, we've talked before about all of the statistics of all the churches that are sadly dying and closing their doors all around America. It's tragic, it's incredibly sad, it's incredibly depressing, it's happening all around the country and all around our city. And the, the sad thing is, is so many churches that are dying and closing their doors, it's happening because they are filled with good people, but those good people misunderstand this truth. They think it's mine. So they look at the church and they say, oh, it's mine. So it's about what I want. It's about what I get out of it. It's about what I want things to look like. It's about the songs I want to sing. It's about the programs that I want that are good for me. When that begins happening, churches begin to die. And one of the huge reasons that God has been breathing life back into Garden Oaks is because those of you who have been here for a few years, you chose to make the hard decision and said, hey, it's not mine, it's God's. You said, yeah, it's my church in the sense of like I'm responsible for it and this is my family and this is where I'm committing my life to walk in community with the Lord and grow and become more like Christ. Yeah, it's mine in that sense, but in terms of ownership, man, it's not mine, it's God's. So it's not about what I want, it's about what He wants. And those of you who have been here, you made that hard decision. And now the church is thriving because of that. Amen. I'm not exaggerating to say 
We could, we could get Josh Ellis, the, the director of the Union Baptist Association, we could file into a bus today and he could drive us around the city to church after church after church after church after church who within the next year or two will cease to exist. Right? Just a couple weeks ago, I heard about another one. I, I won't tell you the name, but within a mile and a half of where we're sitting right now, a church that is getting ready to, to sell their building because the church is dying. And the building is going to be bought by some developer who's going to turn it into a fancy new apartment complex or some new hipster restaurant or coffee shop, which like I'm a foodie, so I'm all for more hipster restaurants and coffee shops. Like, you know, that's great. But here's the sad reality. There's going to be people in that neighborhood. There's going to be a new generation who grows up on that block without a gospel presence on their street. But see, because so many of you here at Garden Oaks, because you lived with a generous mindset, you lived with this mindset of not it's mine, but it's God. God has brought this place back to life and the people who live right around us in this community, the next generation of kids who are growing up in Garden Oaks will still have, God willing, for generations to come, a gospel presence on their block. Like, like, that's not just a small thing. And again, that's not just a given because there's so many places where that is sadly not happening. And so when we begin to live generously, when we begin to be open-handed, again, that, that's not just about money. When we begin to look at our entire lives and say, it's not mine, it's God's. It's not about what I want, it's about what he wants. It's not about what my plans are, it's about what his plans are. When we begin to do that, Man, we begin to be part of things that are so much bigger than us, things that will last for generations when we are dead and gone. And ultimately, that's what we all want and desire at the end of the day. So generosity allows us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Another benefit that we see that happens when we begin to be generous is generosity fills us with joy. Right? When we make this shift from its mind to its God, it actually leads to us experiencing joy in our lives. Look again at verse 9. It says, the people rejoiced over the offering. So these people have just given freely and willingly and generously. It says, the people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. I love this picture that after they give, everyone is filled with joy. You know, in, uh, in the book of Acts, Luke quotes Jesus, and he says, as the Lord Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Remember, we're seeing here that that's true, that it is more blessed to give than receive, that when we give, when we live generously, it actually brings joy to our hearts. And I, I remember back um, several years ago when Grayson, our oldest kid now, um, we took her trick-or-treating. It was her first Halloween where she could kind of walk on her own and like, you know, walk up to the doors and all that. And so we took her trick-or-treating for the first time. And we're like, okay, you know, you're going to walk up to the door, ring the doorbell, say trick-or-treat. And so she's like dressed as a strawberry. I don't know why I just was a strawberry. It was the cutest strawberry ever. But I remember like she would walk up to the door, ring the doorbell. They would open the door and she would just say, treat, please. I get, you know, she's like, I'm not messing around. I'm not taking a chance. I'm getting a trick. Like, I'm just going to go straight for what I really want. I want the treat. Um, but she did that. So we got some candy. And then after a few minutes, we came back to the house to take a little break. And uh, 
And so as we're at the house, people are coming and they're ringing our doorbell. And when someone would ring our doorbell, we would open the door and she would go to the bucket, you know, grab a handful of candy, you know, drop it in their bucket and say, there you go. And she was getting so excited. And so we did that for, for a couple of different trick-or-treaters. And we're like, all right, Grayson, hey, you ready to go back out? You want to go get some more candy? And she's like, no, I want to say, I want to keep giving out candy. This is way more fun. Right. And I was like, oh my goodness, like here's this little three-year-old kid. And like, she is proving true what Jesus said. He said, it's more blessed to give than receive. She was having so much more fun actually giving out the candy than she was getting the candy for herself. Man, it's true what Jesus says is true. Generosity, living generously, really does lead to us experiencing joy. Man, I, I know it's true for me again. Like I said, I struggle with generosity. I really, really do. But I can honestly say there hasn't been a time where I was faced with a situation where I'm like, okay, in this situation, am I going to be greedy or am I going to be generous? There hasn't been a time in that moment where I chose generosity that I ended up regretting it. There hasn't been one time that I chose the generosity where I got down the road and I'm like, doggone it, I really wish I would have been selfish there. It, just, it hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. It's probably the same as true for you. Generosity every single time leads to joy. Generosity always leads to joy. And here's why. And here's why it leads to joy. And here's really like kind of the key and the most important part of all of this. Generosity actually makes us more like Christ. I think the reason that generosity allows us to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves, the reason that generosity breeds joy in our hearts and our souls is because our generosity is actually making us look more like Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate picture of generosity. Because what did Jesus do? He came and he gave. But see, Jesus didn't give his time. He didn't just give his money. He just didn't give his resources and his energy. He gave his life. He gave everything. When we were lost and dead in our sin, he came, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't, going to the cross, paying for our sin on the cross. He gave up his life for us. That is the most generous thing that you could ever do. That is the ultimate picture of generosity. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, when we begin to take a step toward generosity, when we take that step toward generosity, we are beginning to look a little more like Jesus, and we are showing the world what Jesus is like. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and in a minute we're going to continue worshiping as we continue singing together. But as they come back up, I, I want you to just stop and pause, and if you want to just kind of close your eyes and think and contemplate for a minute, that's fine. But just, just, just consider for yourself for a moment, I want you to think for a moment this morning how can you today take a step toward generosity? What would it look like for you today to take a step toward generosity? Again, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I want you to consider this. What would it look like for you to take a step toward generosity? As we begin to make this mental shift from its mind to believing that, no, ultimately it's God's, as you make that mental shift, how can you step towards generosity? Now again, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, man, the step we would love for you to take is to trust in Christ and begin following Jesus. 
to turn away from living for yourself, to turn away from your sin and turn to Christ, trusting in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin and surrendering your life to him and begin walking with him. And if you're not a Christian, that's the step for you today. But if you're here and you are already a follower of Christ, what is a step that you can take today toward generosity? So if you're a Christian and you don't yet give to support the work of the church, that's one simple step you can take. Or you can begin giving. You can begin um, giving a tithe or an offering to support the work of the church and you know how much you want to do and whatever that's between you and God, but maybe that's a step you can take. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you already give, but if you're being honest with yourself, like you're pretty comfortable with that and you don't really give generously. It's just easy for you to do. Maybe the step for you is to step it up in your giving, to take a step and to give more generously whatever that would look like for you. Um, maybe as it comes to money, maybe you already do live a pretty generous life when it comes to your money, but maybe you need to be more generous with your time. Maybe there are people in your world that um, need some investment of your time, people that need encouragement, people that need you to come alongside of them, spend some time with them, walk through tough issues with them. And so maybe for you, a step toward generosity would be sacrificing some of your time, giving up some of your free time for the sake of somebody else. But what would a, just a single simple step of generosity look like for you this week? Because again, we all have a step to take. Whether you believe you're currently pretty selfish like me or whether you believe you're pretty generous, none of us have arrived. We all have room to grow. We can all take a step to become more like Christ in this area of generosity. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue worshiping through song. But as I pray, I would love for you to just pray and ask the Spirit, ask God's Spirit to reveal to you what it would look like for you this week to just make one move, to take one step toward generosity. So as I pray, will you pray as well? Let's pray.